morning, everybody. Um, I'm going to present my um, digital research, um, which has um, come out of a, um, being a product very much of this program. It's an anthropology program. I both did the medical anthropology option as an undergraduate and then did the master's, and now I'm a digital student. So, um, I could almost begin by stealing Daniel's title. <laughs> Right, because I always wanted to, to, to show how connected the medical anthropology program has been from me getting from, I, I could say, how, how have I got from body art, from, from medical anthropology to body art in three steps. I could, I could do a talk on that. Um, not necessarily the things you put most together, but um, I'll endeavour to show you how I have. So, why would a medical anthropologist take on topic, topics like body painting? The short answer is because people who paint say that it's a medicine and it makes them healthy. However, to understand just how body painting generates health requires something of a paradigm shift regarding medical substances. Women of southwest Ethiopia have a complex medical practice involving earthly substances. But theirs is by and large a medical tradition that centers around application of clays rather than the imbibing of medicines. To appreciate this medical tradition, one needs an appreciation of the triangulated through a links between the land, the environment, and earthy substances and health. These links form the foundation of my thesis. The ecologically grounded biocultural approach to health, so fundamental to the medical anthropology program at ISCA, gave me the theoretical framework necessary to go beyond the social skin in body painting and explore just how body painting generates health. Working closely with Elizabeth Shu in preparing a funding application um, for my DPhil gave me the confidence to tackle a topic um, typically left to the aesthetic anthropologists, and instead I learned to appreciate just how far medical traditions must be conceived as an art rather than purely as a science. However, on, on arriving in the field, daily practices gave me a clue to how far a conceptual jump I still had to make if I wanted to comprehend the ritual knowledge and uses of earthy, earth, earth more generally. This occurred to me during my first few weeks of fieldwork um, in a very ordinary or daily context. A little three or four year old boy asked me to escort him beyond the village into the bushes so that he could go to the toilet. He kept calling to me while he was occupied behind a bush to see that I had, stood, I had not left him and I was still there. When he had finished, I wondered what he was going to do for toilet paper since we adults all used leaves and there were none on that particular bush that would be appropriate. He jumped onto the path, pleased to see me still waiting. I turned back um, to, the, to walk towards the village. Wait, he exclaimed. He had remembered something. He sat down on the dusty path, legs horizontal in front of him, and then dragged his bare bottom across the earth. This was his toilet paper. Subsequently, I've seen many mothers doing this with more robust babies and toddlers. The earth and the immediate surroundings um, are malleable, absorbent, cleansing and replenishing to those who choose to interact with it in this way. For me, I have to learn. By focusing on daily relationships with Earth, I began to see that Earth is everywhere in childhood play, daily cleaning, cultivation, decoration. There is a daily intimacy and ease with Earth um, that the moon have, and I did leave. It was quite clear to me when I was, when I was first, first there. 
This gave me a grounded perspective, quite literally, from which to understand the complex body painting healing rituals. Let me give some examples to elucidate this. <laughs> a common sound and sight in the evening is formed by a group of women and children clustered close to the fire as night sets in. Everyone has eaten, and leisure time is spent telling, telling stories, jokes, gossiping, but also treating signs of poor health. The role of the doctor in is filled in by the moon, by moon women called the area, and they are sought out in the evenings to treat any concerning symptoms of poor health. Shh, 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 goes the sound of the nere as she runs her hand over the body and pulls out anything problematic. Pa, 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 goes the hand as she coaxes what she has pulled out of the body into a little pile of earth in front of her. For the nere, earth and ash are substances to absorb malevolent forces that are gathered in the body. Because earth and ash absorb these forces, cleanse them and render them neutral. The practice is such a casual affair with the nere and the patient or visitors chatting throughout the process. In addition to neutralizing, earthy substances can disguise. Once a young girl returned from the water with dung around her mouth and a layer of ash on top of this. I was surprised. She's a girl of about nine and was not likely to have been playing around with substances. I mean, a lot of kids, you know, you see them putting their head in the ashes and just playing. Um, so, so I asked her why she had painted. She told me she'd eaten meat. And so before going to fetch the water, um, she had had to paint or else Kido would hit, hit her. Kido literally means a stream or small river, but it's also used to refer to something lurking in the water and that causes illness. It hits you, you say. They are particularly vulnerable, there are particularly vulnerable times and situations when visiting water sites should be avoided. One should not visit the water if one has one's period or has an open wound, such as after giving birth. Having eaten meat, the little girl had taken the precaution to disguise the smell, fearing the kiddo would be attracted to the fleshy smell, much as it might be attracted to an open wound. The case of kiddo is very much in line with Green's work on indigenous theories of contagion, since water is a place of much contamination, spreading of infections, particularly in wounds, etc. However, things get less clear when one comes to the spirit world. It is common that a, a relative who's returned from a long journey anoints the forehead of, of the, rel the relatives that they, that they greet when they, when they arrive. It is so common to see that this is comparable perhaps to the Western practice of hugging a loved one. For the moon, to anoint the forehead is to pre prevent malevolent spirits of the de dead ancestors, Menena, from hitting their loved ones and making them ill. A grandmother, for example, visiting her daughter and grandchildren, will collect ash from the hearth, throw a little to the menina, and then anoint her own forehead by dragging her dusty fingers vertically down, down her forehead and repeating the action on the forehead of her relative. What is important is the act and not the aesthetic product. The process of touching and anointing is important, even if it leaves no visible trace of ash. What is going on here? Could it be that the dead ancestors, upon dying, become in some sense part of the earth? as we may say ashes to ashes and dust to dust. The application of ash seems to be embody, an, embody, an embodied reminder that all peoples have come from the earth and they will return to the earth. And therefore the wandering spirit of the dead should not harm their living ancestors, for the dead and the living are one and the same. There are, in fact, places in the land considered so intimately connected with spirits of the dead that one cannot even collect firewood at these places. These are portals or doors to the underworld. 
Equally, there are clay pits that are so sacred and hidden that only people who have ancestral links can visit. On one occasion, I visited such a site um, with such a descendant. This guy here. However, even he was concerned that when the clay, that the clay, that when he arrived at the site, the clay would not recognise him as a descendant, and on not recognising it, might hit him and make him ill. Therefore, he prepared for the visit by bringing with him some clay from a previous visit, telling me that the clay in the ground would recognise the clay in his pocket, and therefore the clay. The clay at the site would not strike him, much like we might take a key as opposed to bashing down the door. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, young men and boys who move regularly over every inch of land, unlike the women are quite much more domestically bound, but the men what, follow the cattle and they're moving throughout the landscape. Um, can hardly pass a clay pit without applying, applying, the, applying, some, applying the clay or the substance to their skin. Indeed, throughout the landscape, there are places where clay and pigments in the earth are beckoning people to apply themselves to them. And this is why I put this site in here. Something I really have to get a feeling for that you can't, you can't, they can't, they can't, they can't resist. It's like it's irresistible. When, when they pass something like this, just put a bit on, you know, it, it's, it's like a dialogue that's going on in some senses that I was getting a feeling for. When we visit, uh, we anthropologists, we Westerners, whatever. When we visit a place of beauty or religious significance, it may inspire a reflection or a prayer, or perhaps we simply take a photograph. But for the moon, they get their hands into the site itself. They rub and anoint themselves with the contents of the site, therefore blurring the boundary between themselves and the land. Clay is also central during an important healing ceremony called Zuo Lama, rounding up of the people, or more broadly referred to as Bio Lama, rounding up of the cattle. This is a ceremony led by the Komoro, the ritual priest, who's here, who's my, my priest in my, my area, there are several, he's called Duli. Um, and this ceremony is held to protect and heal the community and cattle from diseases. It's held at, at intervals according to when the people request the Komoro to come and perform this um, ritual. Um, often coincides with a lot of cattle illnesses or sicknesses amongst people. What I would like to draw attention to, however, is that the ceremony they use, at this ceremony they use grey-brown gray, gray, clay, Debi this is the site where it's coming from, um, which is very near um, and here Koro, we've got uh, uh, an Arkanath in the audience who was, was with us, um, was with, with me on the, this, uh, this site, this is that, that, that site that's where you were. Um, which protects those anointed from disease. I actually found that out when I took this photograph. I asked Lavali, what, why, why this clay? Why did they choose this clay? And he said, it's dirty. It's dirty and disease is afraid. It's afraid of this clay. So that's why they, they anoint with this clay. Yes, so Gilana can be translated as dirty or contaminated. And it is interesting that disease should be afraid of dirty or disease-looking things. Perhaps this is why the, the priest never cuts his hair and does not wash for the duration of the ceremony, during the, the, the priest being the embodiment of the community. Uh, during the, the ceremony, the dirty clay is applied to the entire community for three nights, morning and evening. And nobody's allowed to lie in and you know, skip, skip a session. I've tried, but it doesn't um, get up. 
the UK. People are concerned that we should all partake. These collective painting ceremonies left me with the impression of a mass inoculation ceremony. This is, a, this is the process of anointing. It's the very, very simple. It's nothing, it's nothing glamorous. It's just getting that clay on the body. You drag your hands down the face, down the chest, um, and down the arms. Uh, it's very simple. So I mean, that's me with the, with the brown, black, uh, black, the black, the brown clay. Um, and you can see the cattle and the fire in the round circle. It gets quite a complicated set up and actually it's again it's an interesting one in terms of relationship with the environment because the circle is positioned to face the sun uh, and the, the the you stand with the mouth in the circle and you are anointed and the, the, the fire is burning in the centre and it, the, the priest shouts, oh yeah, go south, go south uh, like uh, uh, Shakespeare out down the spot. It's like you know just go and go with the, the fire. Go up with the fire, go just go south to the disease. So it's sort of directing, the, the Kamora is directing the disease in sort of a composition that uh, uh, composes the disease's future, I suppose, in his, in his summonings. Uh, and this is the last day where you eat the white clay. Um, and that's to, cl to clean the, the disease from the disease that's been disguising your body, I suppose, or. I'm still working out exactly what's going on. And the last day, they, they talk about washing the body with the right clay. Okay. No environment is perhaps as dangerous a place to inhabit than the banks of the Omer River, with high levels of disease and sickness associated. Annually, people migrate there to cultivate. Um, and ritual families at the Omer, such as this family here, who was uh, the host for me and Elizabeth, this family, a very nice family. Um, uh, and when people migrate there, ritual families cleanse the Omer waters by throwing clay into the water along with the feces of hyenas, leopards, and lions to ward off dangers. That's what's going on here. You see the, 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 the ritual, ritual um, ceremonial person of this family is anointing himself with this really foul smelling mixture of that high ship never that was very very stinky and then that's his youngest son and that's his eldest son and they just arrived here nobody's ahead of them they've just been the first to get there they throw it into the river and now it's considered to be safe to drink they cleansed it and um, the youngest son assured me that it's safe to swim even in these waters now that the clay is there the crocodiles will not dare attack you i didn't try it but um this ceremony like uh, oh yes but at the Omo, when I arrived at, the, my, at my village called Goa, where I migrated to, a power clan called the Juhai are the ones who perform, perform protective ceremonies that prevent disease and epidemics from entering the village. So we were in a village called Goa. And at the ceremony, a different ceremony, this is the cleansing of the Omo River. Uh, this is our village on the back, on the, sort of up on the hill behind the Omo. And they do another ceremony. A little bit like the Biolamo, we saw the, 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 the priest, the Kamora. But these are just ritual people, they're not priests exactly. Um, 
They both three, this ceremony involves three nights of anointing with black clay in the morning and the evening, morning and the evening. And on the fourth day, anointing with white clay to wash the body again. Uh, the Juhai are a bit different from the place where I was because in addition they put a red stripe of um, ochre down the arm on the right side. Uh, yes, the, the first few nights of this ceremony occurred when people were just arriving. They, people were arriving from all over of the all over the land and they arrived into this one village and they got this cleansing as they arrived. It was very much, you know, we want to make sure this place starts off well. Um, knowing that it's such a dangerous place, a lot of a lot of infant mortality at the owner particularly particular. Um, on top of, yes, so they um, arrive, everybody is anointed, and then the master of ceremonies takes the black clay and pours it onto the pathways that enter, that enter into the village and to prevent disease entering the community along these routes. This idea of infection being brought into the village by new arrivals and along paths is very reminiscent of the work of Mungabani. What is less discussed by the literature is the idea that clays and earthy substances can contain, protect, and cleanse the spread of infection. And just the last one, um, last slide, just to move, I don't have time to go into some, some myths that are in, in this area about um, the notion of humanness and uh, eating of the earth. But I just wanted to say that we, I've been using the word anoint throughout the, the, these, these, these 10 minutes um, to talk about the application of the clay. They don't use that word. They say we eat, we eat the clay. And then here's some people... In, in, in the moon, it's the women, not like the kayapoli of the men, but they literally put the clay in their mouth as a as a fertility, as a as a as a, as a, as a when you when you become when you start to um, menstruate, then you start to pierce your lip. And this idea of you anoint with clay, eat the clay. Um, I was playing with the ideas of this, and I, I was looking at some of the way that they conjugate um, their verbs and. Uh, that when they say, where do you live? They say, um, or where, where, do you, where do you live? They don't say that. They say, where do you eat? And you don't say, I eat at Oxford. You say, I eat Oxford. It's very much connected to the place. Place is very, very much important. And I find this amongst all pastoralists, uh, the newer, when they move from one, one, one sub-fruit to the next, they take some of the earth from the previous place with them in their pocket, and they mix it with the earth from where they go, and they slowly add less and less of the earth from where they've been and more and more of the earth where they've arrived. As a type of acclimatization, I don't know exactly what's going on, but it's, it's common amongst all the pastoralists. So that's just something I was playing with. The idea is I don't eat at Oxford, I eat Oxford. Um, yeah, and just to conclude, the moon used substances from the earth to mold, protect, and cleanse the self and the other, but also to realign the self with the surrounding environment. For this reason, in my thesis, I refer to body painting as bodyscaping, to emphasize the way that anointing with substances is a processual dialogue with which one explores the, extent, the changes in relationship between the environment and the social, physical, and ecological bodies. As I have shown, the environment is both dangerous and potentially healing. By aligning oneself through body painting with good births, one can shape or bodyscape the nature of one's relationship with the environment, manipulating it and fine-tuning it. This is how the moon create a healing tradition with us. <laughs>